0: It's uh, second in the series of I Ams of Jesus And uh, today I've been asked to speak on One of the uh, most well known of the I Ams that Jesus spoke about He said, I am the way, the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me John 14 verse 6 That was the uh, new revised standard version but if you look in 99% of other versions then the same words are used because they're such emphatic words they're not wishy-washy, they're not maybes they're not, they're certainties The Amplified Bible says the same thing but it says it even more strongly it says, I am the only way to God and the real truth and the real life No one comes to the Father But through me What does the world today Think truth means? Lynn and I were uh, On our way to Evesham a couple of days ago And I was listen- we were listening to a programme on Radio 4 in the car And uh, My ears pricked up because uh, they'd asked a Buddhist, a scientist and a Christian minister to debate what was the meaning of truth today. And as I'd prepared this sermon prior to that, then I thought, oh, I wonder whether we're going to hear anything about this. And I fully expected the Christian minister was there to refer to what I'm going to speak on today. But it's a great way of talking about what truth means Sadly, he didn't take the opportunity And their debate rambled on all over the place And they seemed to have come to an agreement at the end That pretty broadly speaking, in this post-truth society That was the word they used, post-truth society whatever that means this post-truth society truth is what each individual wants it to be for them and anyone who asserts that they have the truth and in Jesus' case the only real truth is arrogant, presumptive and trying to assert that they are superior to all others because they have the truth I was quite sad at the end of that debate I must admit I can remember a a fairly long time ago now when I was in the bank and one of the young girls came up to me just after she'd had a bereavement and said something to the effect of Paul, you're a Christian, aren't you? What do you believe happens when we die? I was able to share with her that I had a sure and certain hope of resurrection to eternal life to be with God the Father in heaven. Through my faith and trust in Jesus As my personal Lord and Saviour I don't think I quite said it like that But uh, that was what I said to her And I may have even shared this voice, a verse from John 14:6 with her I can't honestly remember Her reaction was to say that it must be wonderful To have such a strong conviction, faith and belief In what the future held for me And that she wished that she could have it true too That she could believe in that truth that was there Unfortunately she left to move to a different part of the country shortly afterwards So I don't know what the outcome of that was I'd invited her to go along to a local church where she was And speak to the minister further about it Whether she ever did or not, I just, I don't know I'd done the bit that I was given the opportunity to do So this direct statement, and that's what it is, this direct statement of Jesus would certainly cause, and does cause today, huge debate even within the church, let alone in the secular sphere and it would have done when he spoke it as well because there were lots of people who wouldn't have agreed with it So let's have a look at the text well, first of all, I want to tell you a story about Lynn and I, and the fact that we thank God every time we go away and need to drive to somewhere we don't know. And we thank God for our Satnav system. We have a rough idea sometimes whereabouts in the country it is, although Lynn always insists on going up to London and down to Scotland, which slightly worries me. But, uh, <laughs> prior to sat Avelyn used to have to navigate for us and it was always a bonus if the map was the right way up and I can honestly say that we had more disagreements and hair pulling moments and tantrums during those times than at any other time in our marriage and we always arrived where we were due to go frazzled and fairly, not speaking sometimes yes, even that Satnav has changed all that it's a wonderful invention because it knows where we're going tells me how to get there and lynn can just relax and enjoy the journey it happened on tuesday when we went down to evesham she just sat there and relaxed and enjoyed it and she wanted to go through the um, on the blossom trail down in evesham Uh, turned out it was a little bit early but i couldn't find it and she got a bit frustrated about it so we put blossom trail into Google on my smartphone technology is wonderful isn't it and it came up the blossom trail and gave me a postcode and we found it and we went through it she was happy again so anyway it's good to know where you're going and it's good to know how you can get there and Jesus in this passage has just told his disciples that he's going away but that they can't go with him yet. Not Naturally, they ask when the, <clears throat> where he's going to. And he tells them about heaven and the plans God has in place to welcome them when they eventually come. He also tells them that he will come again, so that they can be with him in heaven, in the rooms that God has prepared for them. Oh, a wonderful promise and Jesus has gone before us to prepare a room for each and every one of us and uh, when we go to heaven he's going to be there to greet us and take us to our rooms and show us around Lynn's got a picture of her room well I'm not going to tell you about that at the moment Thomas, always Thomas look, always looking for an answer says Lord we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way And Jesus replies this famous verse I am the way, the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me If you think about it It's a summary of everything that he had been trying to teach them Over the last three years of his ministry He tried to teach them that what all people need most is God However, because of our sin we are separated from God's holy perfection. Jesus came and lived a sinless life and as a consequence would take the sin of the world upon himself as he died on the cross and make a way, the only way, from mankind to God. Becoming in essence a bridge. Some of you may remember the little pamphlet about six pages of it, where you can give it to somebody and it takes you through the journey of becoming a Christian. And there's a bridge in there. It's going back a bit, so you need to be a bit older to remember it. But um, in essence, he becomes a bridge, across which is the only access to God. You can look for any other way you like, but you need to go across this bridge, which is Jesus, if you want access to God the Father. Most people nowadays want and desire the second half of Jesus' statement They want the eternal life in heaven that Jesus refers to And they want a life now that is full of meaning and purpose As they follow Jesus But I would suggest that most don't like the first part of what he said that night before his crucifixion Where he says, I am the way and the truth the problem is you can't have one without the other. You can't have truly abundant life and the promise of eternal life in heaven without accepting and embracing the truth that Jesus is the only way to God. So I want to have a look this morning at these two elements of the statement. Somewhat controversial statements in today's world hoping it will make us give us a better preparation For explaining to family, neighbours and friends. Should they ask you what that means in reality? So let's have a look first at I am the way. The Greek here is totally emphatic. Which is why when you look at different versions, as I said earlier, in different Bible translations, they are all word for word the same with some like the Amplified adding words for for what they see as clarification. But none of them, as far as I can see, and I've looked at loads of them, none of them changed the words of the statement itself. So what literally Jesus was saying was, I and no other always am the way, the truth and the life. In other words, Jesus was saying that there never was nor will there ever be any other way to have eternal life in heaven with God other than through his son's sacrifice on the cross. A statement, as I discovered on Tuesday, not easily accepted in today's post-modern society and post-truth society and Christians who embrace this conviction are often referred to as narrow-minded bigots even snobbish or pious by some Christians and non-Christians alike In our world of religious pluralism and tolerance where this exclusive claim of Jesus is politically incorrect And considered a slap in the face of other belief systems In this age of endless options People can't see why there can't be options in the spiritual arena And that Christianity is just one of many options they can try It's okay to think you're right But apparently it's not okay to think others are wrong Christianity is the only religion that proclaims the gospel of grace all other religions require you to do something to earn the favour of God they are do-it-yourself propositions where we have to reach out to God in various ways hoping to earn his favour Christianity teaches that in Jesus Christ God reached out to us We know that scripture says that God's gift of salvation through Jesus was God-given, God-driven, God-empowered, and God-originated. Salvation does not come from man to God through our efforts. No, it is from God to man. Only Christianity is based on the philosophy of grace and not works. It teaches that God reached down to us because we are incapable of reaching up to him. John 4.10 tells us, it's not our love for God, it is God's love for us in sending his son to be the way to take away our sins. No other system, ideology or religion proclaims a free forgiveness and a new life to those who have done nothing to deserve it, and in fact deserve judgement instead. The Bible does teach that we should do good works, but we do them as a demonstration of our having received God's forgiveness, not as a badge of merit. Christianity alone offers assurance of salvation. In other religions, it is impossible to have any certainty that you have achieved eternal life. When do you know when you've done enough? When do you know when you've done enough good works? You never know, and you never can know. I know that Lynn had several conversations with some of the Muslims she was working with in the hospital, and they themselves were concerned that have I done enough? Will I ever be able to do enough in order to earn my place? They were really worried about it and she had several interesting conversations with them about it. Christianity affirms that our salvation is a result not of what we do but of our faith in what Christ has done for us. And that he is the only way to that salvation. Let's have a look now at that second statement. I am the truth. What I believe Jesus was saying here is simply this. That everything he said was true his every thought and action was absolutely genuine and trustworthy and as you read through the Bible there is nothing in there which would contradict that statement one of the problems with living in a fallen world polluted by sin is that there is so much falsehood and deceit it's very difficult to know what is real What is true. What to build your life on. Pretty much as the three guys in the radio discussion I was talking about earlier, where defining truth for them in this world was pretty much impossible. Jesus came and said, build your life on me and my teachings. Trust what I say to you, for I and I alone am the truth. Jesus, if it wasn't true, it would be a very arrogant statement, wouldn't it? Jesus is saying here that we must not trust any other way than his. For his way is the only true way. To experience life, both now and in eternity, we must follow his teachings. Now people have a problem with this state, this statement You see, we live in an age where tolerance is a much esteemed word. We are told to be tolerant of everyone's perspective on truth, no matter how different they may be. Jesus tells us we need to be loving and respectful as we share our faith. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But, do this with gentleness and respect. So tolerance is therefore a good biblical principle when it's applied properly. We probably need to confess that not all Christians have shown the tolerance as they share the truth of the gospel. If as we do it, and sometimes I've seen it happen where people do appear arrogant or unloving as we attempt to share our faith, to Bible bash, as some people put it, regardless of whether they want to listen or not, they, quite rightly, the people hearing it, will become angry and defensive and most importantly, unreceptive to what we are saying. Mahatma Gandhi is quoted as saying, I like their Christ, but I don't like their Christians. Nietzsche also said, we Christians must stop treating people who don't believe as if they were the enemy. For they are not our enemies. They are victims of the enemy. We need to be respectful. Tolerant of other faiths People do have a right to believe what they wish It's one reason why God gave us free will But just because beliefs are equally tolerated or protected By our nation's law Does not mean they are equally true Truth by definition is exclusive If a true statement does not exclude then no assertion of truth is being made everyone is entitled to their opinion but opinions do not make truth Jesus is the truth whether we accept it or not if the Bible told us that there were many roads to God then I'd agree that Christians are being narrow minded or holier than thou by insisting our road is the best well, that's not what the bible says the bible teaches that there is only one truth not many and the truth is we have all sinned and fallen short and if we're going to get to heaven someone has to pay the penalty for our wrongdoings Jesus by virtue of his sinlessness and divinity is the only one Qualified to do this to be our substitute that is why he was that is what he was rather as he hung on the cross as our substitute 1 John 4.10 says he came to be the propitiation for our sins in other words to take our place this is true this is factual and it's not narrow minded to act in accordance with that truth I'm not a doctor but I'm told that some babies are born jaundiced and it can have devastating consequences if not treated immediately I'm told that the cure is very simple and effective within hours the babies are placed under a special light which somehow stimulates the functioning of the liver and all is well hypothetically let's say that a parent who's got a child like this says to the physician that's too easy it must need more I think it would be better if we scrubbed him in soap and water to restore his normal colour the physician would respond you don't understand this is the only way To cure your son. You could still ignore him and insist that you believe in the truth you are suggesting. As the best way of dealing with it. The doctor might respond by saying. You're going to jeopardise his life. I'm telling you. There's only one truth in all of this. One way to cure him. It may sound too easy. But look at the credentials on my office wall. I've studied at medical school I've used what I learned to cure countless babies trust me on this would anyone accuse you of being narrow minded or intolerant if you looked at those credentials and decided to trust the doctor and pursue the course of treatment that would cure your son of course not that's not being narrow minded that is acting rationally in accordance with the evidence the fact is every human being on the planet has a terminal, terminal illness and it's called sin the reason that believers in Jesus cling to him so tightly is because they have discovered that he is the great physician who has the only cure We could try to scrub away our sins with good deeds But that wouldn't work We could sincerely believe that there are other ways of dealing with our sins But we would be sincerely wrong The truth is that only the great physician Offers a treatment That will erase the stains of sin Only he has the credentials and the credibility to back it up So when we turn to him we're not being narrow minded we are simply acting (coughs) rationally in accordance with where the evidence points As Jesus truthfully said in the upper room that night he really is the only way for us to experience real life now and have eternal life with God when we die there is an old hymn that goes like this. It says, I must go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall never get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. I must needs go on in the blood sprinkled way, the path that the saviour trod. If, I ever, if ever I ever climb to the heights sublime, where the soul is at home with God, so I bid farewell to the way of the world, to walk in it nevermore. For my Lord says, "Come, and I seek my home, where He waits at the, hope, the open door. The way of the cross leads home. the way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go that the way of the cross leads home. We might understand that there is a God and even yearn to reach him across an impossible distance. We might recognise his power and glory, his majesty and goodness and desire with all our hearts to know him and to be with him, but the distance is too great, the gulf is too wide, none of us can reach him, none of us can see him or be near him, not on our own. The relationship that existed back in Eden was broken, the road was shattered, the exit ramp to God's presence was cut off and ended in empty space there was no way until God in Jesus made one Hebrews 10.20 calls it a new and living way that opened up for us Acts 4.12 Peter in his famous sermon said salvation is found in no one else Why do so many people resist this fact today? Why do they struggle to embrace Jesus as the only way? The only truth? I think one reason is that we live in a very selfish world and to accept the claims of Jesus requires us to obey his command and die to self Becoming a disciple of Jesus involves a commitment to let him rule your life and live in and through you many people just aren't willing to do that it's too much of a threat to their power and autonomy they want to live their lives as they see fit not according to the will of God this is as we know a tragic mistake for as any Christian knows when we give our lives to God we always get back more than we give and where are you this morning if you haven't already are you willing to die to self and follow Jesus are you ready to put your trust only in him who is the only way the only truth If you haven't yet made that commitment And you want to this morning Then right where you are Talk to God Admit to him your sin And ask for his forgiveness Believe that Jesus is his only son And that he died for you on Calvary's cross Commit to him your life To use as he sees fit And he will meet with you right now if you've done that or about to do it and you want to share it then you can come forward to the front and share it with us if you want to if you don't then if you want to do it privately afterwards then just come to me and see me at the end and we can talk about it then it's important if you make that commitment to share it with somebody To show God that you mean business and to make yourself accountable to people. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said it. Jesus meant it. And for those of us who are Christians, it is the assurance that we have That when we leave this mortal coil we will go to be with him in heaven in a room that he has prepared for us and that he will take us there. It may be when we die it may be when he comes back because he's made that promise that he will come back for his people. And because he is the truth we can believe on that promise. Father we thank you that you sent your son Jesus in order to be the propitiation for our sins and that through that we can have that sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life but more than that Father we can have a relationship with you now in this life and that as we give our lives to you surrender our lives to you and ask you to use us in whatever way you want then Father, you will show us the things that you want us to do for you. And Father, you've put each one of us in this place, in NCF, for a purpose. Father, I pray today that you would reveal to each one here who doesn't yet know what that purpose is in this place and that we would be obedient in going forward and carrying out that for you. Father, thank you again for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.